Matthew chapter 20, we're going to look at verses 20 through 28, and the message is entitled, The Secret of Greatness. You all remember a man named Haman. He was promoted by King Ahasuerus above all the princes, and um, everybody bowed and paid homage to him, except for this one little short Jew at the gate, Mordecai. And um, one day... Haman was walking into the king's court ready to petition to um, hang Mordecai on it. And all of a sudden, the king's servant uh, uh, said to him, Haman is there, because he asked, who's at the court? Haman's there. And he's standing there. And the king said, let him come in. So Haman came in. The king asked him, what shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now, Haman thought in his heart, Who would the king delight to honor more than me? And Haman answered the king, and he poured it on. For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn, and a horse in which the king has ridden, which has royal crest present on its head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of the one whom the king's most noble princess, that he may... Array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the whole city square and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man to whom the king delights to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested and do for Mordecai the Jew who sits within the king's gate, leave nothing undone for all that you have said. Pride and humility, ladies and gentlemen, are as opposite to each other as sin and holiness. Pride will cause us to sin, while humility will guard against pride and sin. We want to look at this passage provided by Jesus here. The secret of greatness through three movements. Let me read here our text in Matthew 20, verse 20 through 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down, asking something for him or from him. And he said to her, what do you wish? She said to him, Grant that these two sons of mine sit, one on your right hand, the other on your left, in your kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And they said to him, We're able. And he said to them, You will indeed drink my cup and be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with, but to sit. On my right hand and my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were delighted. Oh, is that no, this is the wrong Bible. And they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet, It shall not be so among you. But whoever desires um, to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. 
Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Wow. The passage of secret of greatness unfolds for us in three movements. First, we have the seeking of greatness, verse 20 and 21. Secondly, we have the reproof for seeking greatness, verse 22 and 23. And thirdly, the principles for servant greatness in 24 through 27. The seeking of greatness comes first. Verse 20 and 21. Notice verse 20. The mother of James and John saw Jesus for a position of greatness for her two little boys. Hmm. The word then means at that time. The particular time is after Jesus had just mentioned his death and resurrection. Context is very important. Timing. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. On the third day he will rise again. Verse 17 through 19. He just said that. This is the context. This is the, the timing. This is the third time Jesus um, mentioned his death and resurrection, by the way. The first was at Caesarea Philippi, as you know, in Matthew 16, 21. Uh, there he mentions that he has to suffer in Jerusalem again. The elder, the chief priest, the scribes, be killed and raised. Every time he mentions it, he never mentions his death without his resurrection. Right over their head. They are so caught up in ruling. They're so caught up in themselves. You're a parent. You know what he's talking about. Because sometimes you teach your kids and it's right over their head. Why? Because it's all about them. The second time was in Galilee. Jesus said again, the Son of Man. And he uses the title now of incarnation. About to betray the hands of man. Kill, raise the third day. Chapter 17, 22 through 23. This is the third time. He just finished saying that. Luke says, Luke 18, 34. But they understood none of these things. This thing was hidden from them, and they did not know the things which were spoken. If you read Mark's gospel carefully, everybody succeeds. But disciples and apostles always fail. Always in Mark's gospel. They just didn't get it. Wow. Notice the woman's identified as the mother of um, Zebedee's sons here. The name of their mother was Salome. She is identified with Mary at the cross in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-six, Mark fifteen forty, and John. 1925. When you compare all these, Salome is believed to be the sister of the mother of Jesus. And if so, then Salome was the aunt of Jesus, making James and John his cousin as much as John the Baptist. Whoa. Family sometimes. It's kind of funky. Hmm. Jesus is probably the, or James is probably the older because he's mentioned first. The two were fishermen, as you know, in Galilee. And uh, they were in their father's boat, mending their nets when Jesus called them to be disciples in Matthew 4, 21. 
Jesus called them sons of thunder to indicate their rough character. In Mark 3.17, you remember in Samaria, they rejected Jesus. He was going to Jerusalem. And um, James and John asked Jesus, you want, me to, you want us to command fire from heaven so we barbecue him like Elijah called out? And he turned and he said that he rebuked them and he says, you do not know what manner of spirit you are. Luke 9, 54 and 55. These are the dirty dozen. It's interesting when you look at them, how they're really portrayed, not the way we portray them through colored glasses. Salome uh, intended to make a petition for Jesus or from Jesus on behalf of her two sons, and she came to him with her sons, kneeling down, mark it well, and asking something from him. Without doubt, she thought Jesus would concede her request, being a woman, a mother, and his auntie. You know how family pressure is, right? And sometimes you know what's wrong and you shouldn't say yes, but uh, she's so nice and she did buy me a car and she did buy me a in and out or whatever. And so you give in to pressure to what you know you should not. It's hard to believe that she and her two sons had not plotted and planned this all along. The sons of thunder were a bunch of mama's boys. And there, there's guys like that. I mean, they're tough this and that, but their mommy just runs their life all the time. Even when they're married. Ooh, that's problems. Solomon, or Solomon here, her outward posture, notice, seems to be humble. But inwardly, she has ulterior motives here. The word kneeling, um, as you know, indicates reverence and respect. And obedience and obeisance. I mean, outwardly it looks great. She was asking, begging for her, for a favor. She's the aunt. He's the nephew. These are her two nice boys. Mm, hardworking. Notice the mother of James and John sought from Jesus a position of power and prestige in verse 21. Jesus asked what her request was. said to her, what do you wish? Well, the word wish means to will or have in mind. Busted. The common conversation of the twelve was always, hey, hey, who's the greatest? What do you think? Hmm. Same conversation in ministry with pastors. And people in ministry. Things have not changed. <laughs> I'm sure James and John had uh, discussed it with their mother. And now she steps up to secure her sons. The question Jesus asked was not to get information. He knew what was in her heart. Learn to pray. Don't give God information. He already knows all about your situation. How do you learn to pray? Know God's word. Read God's word. Then you'll know his will. 
that you'll pray according to his will and not according to your complaining, your murmuring. That goes for you, that goes for me. Wow. The evident implication was James and John believed to be greater in the kingdom than the other ten disciples and apostles, right? It's obvious. They had not learned the lesson of Jesus that had been teaching them about greatness, that of becoming like a little child, humble, serving others out of God's love, not self-seeking, being f- first in the kingdom because they made themselves last, Matthew 18 and 19. Over their head. They just cannot connect the dots because they are so obsessed about power and greatness. The two, James and John, did not want to serve, but they wanted to be served. This made the request more offensive, not to mention Jesus, as we've noted, has just mentioned his death and resurrection. He's walking right now from Jerusalem to Jerusalem from Caesarea Philippi. Six months, he's walking under the shadow of the cross. Going down the gallery, now he's coming down. He's gone over Perea, down the Jordan, modern-day Jordan side, coming back across. He's going to come out by Jericho. Wow. Solomon expressed her request. Listen. She said to him, Grant that these two boys of mine may sit, one on your right hand, the other on your left, in your kingdom. Woo. Very specific. That's good praying. You want to pray specific, not shotgun. But the specific may expose you. May sit on the right hand implies the, the first in place of privilege and power. The left, the second. Webster defines power as the ability or capacity to exercise control and authority. They didn't have it, but they wanted it. Bad. In your kingdom implies prestige. Webster defines prestige as prominence and influence status achieved through success, renown, or wealth. They didn't have it, but they wanted it. In the mind and heart of Solomon, James and John, it was no brainer. Jesus chose them to see Jairus' daughter raised from the dead in Matthew five thirty seven. Jesus chose them to see him in the glorified second return, the Mount of Transfiguration, in Mark nine two and Matthew seventeen. And they had concluded that whatever they asked of Jesus, he would grant it since they were the elite circle in the top two and they were trying to take Peter out of the first place because it says through Philippi in chapter 16, Jesus just says, Blessed thou art, Simon Barjona, flesh and blood is not revealed this to you that I'm the Son of the living God, but my Father in heaven. So they had to up one on Peter, right? Wow. Hmm. 
parallel passage in Mark 10:35 and 36 says James and John saw Jesus for greatness plainly. The context is the same. Jesus had just for the second time mentioned his death and resurrection. Matthew just gives us an added thing with the mommy, the auntie. <laughs> One day a young preacher went up to the pulpit very confident and proud only to have a very difficult time with the sermon notes. Fumbled all around and everything else and um, he became so depressed and broken as he's up to that he just walked down defeated. Mr. Spurgeon uh, said to him, if you had gone up the way you came down, you would have come down the way you went up. Pride. Any one of you want to stand up and tell me you don't have pride? I need a good laugh this morning. Every one of us, ladies and gentlemen, it is our downfall. There are pastors in the church at times that have a wrong concept about the kingdom of God. Rather than recognizing their high privilege, they use their position to be acknowledged as great. I've been born again for about 45 years. I've been in ministry 42 of those years. I've been in the Calvary Chapel movement since then. I went to every conference that Chuck ever had except one when I was in Israel one time. I don't go anymore since Chuck died. Nothing ever changes with man. Or bad news, ladies and gentlemen. Hmm. Pastors love to hear the praises of people. They love to be introduced as doctor, reverend, and the author, and movie star. And ooh, they preach their messages, and then they exit stage left. Never talk to the people or. Pray with the people. Well, you know, it's a big church. Shut up. Chuck Smith had a huge church. And when he got done, he went to the back of the the sanctuary. And he sat there and he spoke and he prayed with people until they left. Hmm. We're proud. We look down on others. In the law, Moses said in Deuteronomy 17, 18, and 20, he says, when you guys have a king, because he knew they were going to require a king like the other nations, he says, you will make one of your brothers, not a stranger, not a foreigner, and when you do, you have the king make a copy of the law by his own self, that he not raise himself up above his brethren. And he learned to fear God. Wow. Then there are people in the church that have been given privilege also by God to be used, but are also lifted in pride. 
they're the first to let you know how long they've been here in the church and how much they've done. They exalt themselves above others, particularly if new people come in and they're of a different kind. See, we forget where we came from after 15, 20, 30 years and we were confused about who we were. And we're no better off than others. They exalt themselves above others. And in ministry, they become territorial. Proverbs 13.10 says, By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. When we had this last meeting here for the Billy Graham outreach, I just walked around and watched I want to see the leadership. Didn't introduce myself, didn't say anything. Jeans, Levi, walking around. It's amazing. Your ushers, your deacons, your pastors did all the work for the ladies that their men should have been doing. Walking around with suits and tags. Not servants. Wow. Amazing to me. The seeking of greatness revealed pride here. Notice secondly, verse 22 and 23. The reproof for seeking greatness comes. It has to come. If you're a parent and your son or daughter acts dumb, you have to respond, right? Jesus directed himself to James and John now, the response of Jesus. But Jesus answered and said to them, do you, you do not know what you ask. The word ask there is an indicative present middle voice indicating the person is asking on his own interest, self-seeking. No two bones about it. I was trying to hide nothing. The two were not thinking about the other ten disciples or apostles. In fact, Mark confirms both were seeking for greatness. They said, teacher, in Mark 10, 35, 37, we want you to do, listen, listen, whatever you ask. Blank check. In your glory. Synonymous with your kingdom. Hmm. The heart of man is deceitful, desperately wicked above all things, and only God knows that Jeremiah 79 says. Put that in your heart, ladies and gentlemen, every day of your life. The blind self-ambition of James and John is stated by Jesus, but not explained. Jesus said, you do not know what you ask. They believe they were able and qualified to reign with Jesus, the greatest among the twelve, fully persuaded. Wow. They were asking for the right and the left and the kingdom because all 12 believed Jesus was going to Jerusalem to set up the kingdom. And now they wanted to be second and third to Jesus. Luke 19, 11 says they knew he was going to set up the kingdom. As he's walking, they, he, he's going to knock off Rome, man. Get ready. 
Three and a half years, going to pay off. We're going to catch our chips in now. You know how many people are that in ministry? You know how many people seek ministry by who they know and everything else, and they think they get a degree, and then that means... Listen, if God hasn't called you and God has anointed you, you are dead. God help the people. If it wasn't for you guys, and I know God's called me, I'd be out of California. I can't go anywhere. I'm stuck with you. And I don't mind it. God has called me here to be your pastor. Notice Jesus asked James and John a serious question in 22. First, are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? The cup represented the experience of judgment and the cross and suffering, Psalm 23, 5 and Psalm 75, 8 and others. Jesus prayed twice in the Garden of Gethsemane. He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, Oh, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Matthew 26, 39 and 42. Same word. Second, and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. Baptism identified his sorrow, his agony at death. Psalm 22. Psalm 69, 15. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22, verse 1 and 2. Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God. I cry in the daytime and you did not hear. And in the night season, and I'm not silent. Why? Because another verse down, because you are holy. Jesus became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The wrath of God was poured on him that should be upon me. God cannot look upon sin with condone his permission. He must judge it. The judgment of sin is death. The identification was with sinful man to take on him the sins of the world. Propitiation for our sins, not ours alone, but the whole world. First John 2, 2. Listen to Isaiah. This is the love song, servant song of, of, of um, Jesus, the servant of God. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. We are esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53, 4 and 5. You see, the brothers both responded without hesitation to both of these questions. We are able. Wow. The tense, again, is the indicative present middle voice. The person acting on their own interests, self-seeking. Did they not hesitate? No. They responded, we're able. Now, let's play it out a little bit here. Okay, Jesus says, all right, James, you're the oldest. You're on my right. John, you're on the left. When we get to Jerusalem, I promise you, right, left. Okay? Then when they get there, rather than the two thieves on the cross being to the right and the left of Jesus, James and John are. And they look to Jesus and say, Lord, what, 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 why, why? Jesus says, what did you have in mind? Hmm. 
In verse 23, Jesus prophesied they indeed, both of them would partake of the cup and the baptism. And Jesus told both brothers they would suffer as he. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and baptize with my baptism that I'm about to be baptized with. And James, as you know, was killed by the sword, by the hand of Herod in Acts uh, 12, 1 and 2. And then John was exiled to the island of Patmos after he was attempted to be boiled in oil. And uh, tradition says he survived and he was um, um, the third and last pastor that we know of the apostles at the church of Ephesus. You had Paul, Timothy and John the Beloved. Now, Jesus also told James and John that his father would determine the position of high privilege and true greatness. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my father. The son, Jesus Christ here, was subject and submissive to the father for the plan of redemption. What an example to these clowns. The head of Jesus is God the Father. The head of man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. Submission is never equal or equates inferiority in the Bible, nor towards the Christian, but effectiveness. Effectiveness. If you think submission is inferior, then you have to conclude that Jesus is inferior to the Father if he submitted himself. But he was 100% God, and he became 100% man to give us an example. Wow. Emptied himself of his glory, Philippians 2.5. Came down to wash feet and die. Wow. Who was he? God. Hmm. The Father will give that honor to those he alone knows. If you've read the chapters before, the last shall be first, the first shall be last. Verse 16 of this chapter. All of chapter 18 and 19. Wow. To those who are truly great by their humble service. To those whose service is motivated by God's agape love, to those who are like their master, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We get so confounded with our greatness or who we are, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm not talking about you got to walk around with a, well, I'm so bad. I'm not talking about that. I am very confident. I know who I am. But I know how rotten I am, too. I have that capacity. You better thank God I'm your pastor. God makes all the difference, ladies and gentlemen. All the difference in the world. D.L. Moody once said, The measure of a man is not how many servants he has, but how many men he serves. You know what impresses me as I see some people who have been here for 38 years and they've always served, continue to serve. They've gone through difficulties, heartache, illnesses, whatever. They just serve. They don't call attention. I just love their Lord. 
I love it. What else could I ask for as a pastor? If we walk in the flesh and just go to church instead of walking in the spirit and being the church, our petitions will be dominated by our self-interest and personal benefits, revealing we're carnal. 100% beef. She knelt, looked humble. She wasn't. Our sin nature is ever-present, as you know, and desires to be noticed and exalted. The old man, Romans 6, 6. 611, it's been crucified, but you got to crucify him, take his head off every day. We can at times be so certain that our motives are right only to have the Holy Spirit convict our heart to obey or suffer the consequences. Galatians 5.16 says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's an absolute promise. People say, well, you know, the Bible doesn't. Listen, it works. Here's the formula. Ready? You must die. You must die. You must pick up your cross. But you won't do that unless first you lose sight of yourself. That's why it says deny yourself first. Hmm. Then at other times God proves us in our service when we stand complaining People don't appreciate us or about the cost of being used due to our petitions we ask. So we ask him, he gives it to us, and then we, wah, wah, the ambulance. Once again, revealing our interest was not people or the glory of God, but our own benefit. Privilege and power will be constant test of our spiritual servanthood till the day we die. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Hmm. There are those who um, seek out a position in the church based on who they know rather than having God raising them up and calling them. They're always trying to push themselves into ministry. And it's not the position that God has for them. Now, you, you, you fit somewhere. I don't know where. That's why don't come and ask me. Ask the Lord. If you're fellowshipping, growing, and it's a lot easier to steer a moving object than one that's sitting still, you don't know. See what ministries are. Jump in. You'll find out pretty soon if that's not it. That's not your gift. That's not your call. He'll direct and guide you. You seek him. He'll call you. He'll direct you. At times, pastors put their friends or sons in ministry. I hate nepotism. It destroys ministry. Ministry can only continue if God raises those people up. It becomes a family business after a while. You look at the family, how they live and how they dress and what they do. I'm not against money. Pastor Chuck was very, very wealthy. I don't think he ever bought a new car. No, I have. 
frugal. That's why God blessed him so much. Servant. A pastor can surround himself with yes people to protect himself. It becomes cultic. No one wants to say no. No one wants to say anything, you know. That's where you get um, Jim Jones events, David Koresh, and many, many others. Scientology. Worldwide Church of God. Some of you come out of there. Herbert W. Armstrong. The best thing is to have God raise up anoint and call each person for ministry because Jesus is the head of the church. The last conference I was there with Pastor Chuck when he died in 13. Um... The seeming leadership was trying to pressure him to, for him to um, declare a successor. Chuck felt very uncomfortable. He's sitting in the front as usually did, and he goes, "Well, last time I read, it was tells me that Jesus is the head of the church." End of conversation. Now these guys send out letters with the board's name. Wow. Amazing to me. Embarrassing, ladies and gentlemen. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Acts 13.2. If God doesn't call you, you're spinning your wheels in vain. You're adding hurt to yourself and everybody else. God places and gives members as he pleases him. Romans 12.18. The problem is you're a foot and you want to be a hand. You don't want to be in darkness all the time. You want to be seen. Want to be an ear? Want to be a nose? But you're only effective on what God has equipped you to. Hmm. The reproof for seeking greatness was humbling. Third and last, he gives the principles for serving greatness in 24 through 27. In 24, the 12 did not possess serving greatness of themselves. The response of the 10 other disciples and apostles was outrage. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Displeased greatly means indignant. They wanted to give them a nice hug, nice and tight around their neck. Wow. Twelve had been with Jesus about three years or so. Now they're moving towards the three and a half by the time they get to Jerusalem. So when the ten heard what the two had asked Jesus, they were grieved with James and John. The reason being because they all had the same thing in mind, but the two beat the ten to it. 
the twelve had discussed who was the greatest before among themselves. Matthew 18, 1 in this book is the last time that we saw there. Mark tells us that Jesus asked them their conversation when they were in the house at Capernaum and they remained silent. Mark 9, 33 and 34 and Matthew 17, 24. Hey, what are you guys talking about? Oh, no, oh the, the Galilee's beautiful, Lord, during this time of year. Oh, just gorgeous. Mm. Luke says Jesus perceived the thoughts of their hearts. Luke 9.47 This conversation seemed to preoccupy their very lives. It's recorded three different times even to the very night of the Passover in John 13. Didn't say a word. He picked a bowl, got a towel, began to wash feet. Wow. The world model and practice is to rule over and exercise authority over men. Jesus tells them in verse 25. The occasion was used by Jesus to teach the twelve. Jesus called them to himself and said, the ten probably were not very happy with the two again, and the twelve knew they were guilty of the same thing, though only the two petitioned did. The twelve had been proved wrong so often, reproved here, corrected, and exhorted many other times. The topic was not new, but a reminder of the worldly mindset due to the fallen world. It's in nature. Listen to the words. You know. That the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. You see this in the world all the time. You see it in politics. You see it in, in, in your job. You see it in, in homes. You see it everywhere. Go to the school ground. You see it in kids. The word to know means to perceive with the eye and mind. The pecking order in the world. Rulers, archon, magistrates, commanders, leaders, and the Gentile that do not know God. Those that are great, megas, get mega bucks from it. Not us, so big. But before their own eyes, they're admired. And those who think that they are great. Maybe their administration, whatever they do, they're just looked up to, you know what I mean? They're taught to be great. Some people are great before the eyes of people because they don't know them. They only look in the window of the house. But when people live in the house with them, that's a whole different matter. To Lord means to exercise dominion over people. To exercise authority over them means to wield power over them to subjugate, to control people. Jesus constantly taught against this and modeled the opposite to them. Pastor Chuck Smith modeled just the opposite of what's taking place. Wow. Look at 26 and 27, the kingdom model and practice 
is to serve. Jesus prohibited the twelve to think and live after the model of the world. Yet it shall not be so among you. They were born again. They were disciples and apostles of Jesus. He chose them. They were to follow his example. Jesus proclaimed the key to greatness in the kingdom. But whoever desires to be great or become great among you, let him be your servant. The desire for greatness is downward, not upward. The word servant, diakonos, means literally a waiter on tables. Making and giving and marking the proper view of self. When you leave here, you go have some lunch and the waiter or waitress is going to serve you. Let's be straight up. We don't think too much of them. I mean, we're kind, we're respectable, but you're not doing great, right? And that's what you and I are. The world's not going to say, oh, he is so God. No. They're going to hate you for your godliness. They're going to hate you for your love for Jesus. They're going to despise you because you're dedicated to be the church, not just go to church. That includes family members, includes some of your children. Hmm. The word is used for deacons in the church. It's an imperative command. Let him. Not a suggestion. Jesus states here the key. To end up first, you must be last. What he's been teaching from 18 on down, 18 to 19. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, verse 27. The word slave, doulos, means a slave by choice um, to live for his master for life. Like the Old Testament. After the sixth year he was released. If he didn't want to be released. The master would take him to the doorpost of his house. Put his ear there. Get an awl hammer. Make a hole. Put an earring on. Saw a man with an earring. He was a bond slave for life. I love my master. I don't want to leave. That's it. That's the word. It's used of Paul for his service in Christ. It marks the right attitude. Love for God and fellow man. Again an imperative command. Let him. Every generation has to learn this, ladies and gentlemen. I have to learn this every day. Because every day the old man's there. Hmm. Look at 28. The kingdom example is Christ. Jesus became a man to serve sinners, just as the Son of Man did not come to benefit himself, but man. The title Son of Man refers to the Incarnation. As God took on flesh, walked among us. He became a man not to be served, diaconio, there it is, deacon again, but to serve, diaconio. Jesus became a man to die in the place of man and to give his life a ransom for many. That's how he served us. 
He served us literally as he walked this earth, that he ultimately served us as dying in our place, that we might be redeemed. He came to give his life a ransom, lutron, the price of a redeemed slave in captivity or the slave market. Second Corinthians 5.21, 1 Peter 1.18 and 19 and many other passages. He came for many, polos, much or a large number who would believe and repent of their sins. The many here has nothing to do with Calvinistic predestination, only of a few, while God predestined the remainder of humanity damnation. That's a heresy that's not even biblical. The many are the ones who call and respond to the gospel of their own choice, not because God damns you to hell. The Calvinist God is not the, Bible, the God of the Bible. It's a different God. Their God is the author of sin. Their God is the one who chose only a few while rejecting the remainder, yet all of them deserve hell. This is their doctrine. The left hand here, you guys get to go to heaven. You guys, you guys go to hell. I'm God, and I choose sovereignty. Then how in the world can I judge you on judgment day if I didn't give you an opportunity? If I'm the author of sin and I choose you while you both deserve hell, how can I be holy? How can I be good? How can I be fair? How can I be just? How can I be loved? Think. Hmm. The navigators are well known for their um, emphasis on having an attitude of servanthood, as you know. Once a businessman asked San, Lawrence Sani, then president of the navigators, um, how he could know when he had a servant-like attitude. The answer came quick. By how you act when someone treats you like one. When someone treats you like a, ser- like a servant, how do you feel? What do you guys think I'm? A slave? Yeah, he does. You have a problem with that? Are you Christian? But he's a non-believer. More so. Wow. It's embarrassing to be a Christian or a pastor sometimes. Man is not a servant by nature, ladies and gentlemen. Romans 3, 10 through 18, Isaiah 64, 6. Our righteousness is filthy rags. That word filthy rags in Isaiah 64, 6 is a menstrual garment. You don't parade that. You don't glory in that. You get rid of it as soon as you can. Wow. Look at the world where you work, you live. Look at the history of man. If man is good, where are you getting your evidence from? What part of history? What country? What race? What color? (laughs) The Christian can only be great if he or she serves. If anyone serves me, it in denials, I'll pick up his cross and follow me. He's the example. John twelve twenty six. The servant is not greater than his Lord. John fifteen twenty. But we're to be like our Lord. Jesus has left us an example to follow his footsteps. First Peter two twenty one says. Those of you who are in Nam, you know when you walk down that trail, 
You got booby traps, trip wires, bouncing baddies, bungee sticks. And that point man, he breaks the ground. And everybody after him walks exactly where he walks. And when they don't step where he walks, they can set that trip wire, that bouncing buddy, or anything else off. You walk in Jesus' footsteps, you're going to be okay. It's just that simple. You not only blow yourself up, but everybody else around you. Wow. Husbands, how are you doing serving your wife and your family? Wives, how are you doing? Are you both serving Christ in the church? You young people, watch this media that you're caught up in. Watch all the junk. Don't be part of the corruption. How's your attitude towards your parents? Authority. How about the church? God will one day reward each of us according to the motives of our heart. 1 Corinthians 4, 5. God is not impressed with what I do or how much I do. He cares why and how I do it. Because for God's love and God, love for people, then I've got some reward. If not, it'll be crispy critter. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. It'll be put by fire. The motive of my heart, wood, hair, stubble, silver, gold, precious stone. Simple. And so... The principle for serving greatness is serving. Serving. I love this lesson. Because it reveals what a rat I can be. It keeps me in my place. This is the lesson on the secret of greatness. According to Jesus, ladies and gentlemen, the seeking of greatness reveals pride. The reproof of seeking greatness was humbling. And the principle for serving greatness is serving. That's it. May God deal with our hearts. Father, thank you for your grace, your love and goodness. We love you, Lord. And we love your word. It is so true and so faithful and so clear as you. So, Lord, I pray for myself, for everyone here, and the ladies as they get done with the retreat, that you would deal with all of our hearts, that we would be that light and salt, that we would be servants. Your servants, Lord, no one else, that you may be honored. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. That is the first requirement. You can't serve unless you're born again. It's impossible you got to be born again. So if you see yourself as a sinner before God and you believe Jesus Christ died for your sins and you can call upon him and he will forgive you of your sin and give you eternal life. It's called repentance. This is your prayer to God if you want to be born again. Whether you're here or over the internet, he's going to save you and forgive you and bury your sins in the deepest ocean. This is your prayer to him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. 
Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.